Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is your 147th video cast, 137th podcast for the week ending Wednesday, August 10th, 2022. We're doing it early this week. I'm traveling out to see some friends in Montana tomorrow, uh, taking the kids and, and, uh, and my wife. It's going to be awesome. And uh, next week will also be early. It will be on Wednesday because I've got some uh, investors coming in, flying in from uh, abroad uh, and meeting up with them. So with that said, I want to kick it off with the media spots. And we've got a lot of great stuff to cover on Cooper Standard. I'm sure you guys are waiting to hear about that. It's been a pretty exciting week. Um, But first off, I would like to thank um, Charlotte. Pesal of the Money Show for having me on. We went into extensive detail about our investing style, about our um, about special situations, about Cooper Standard, which we're going to embed a clip of that into this video cast because I went into really uh, extensive detail on that, uh, and then uh, a history of a number of special situations we've done over the last decade. And what was our reasoning going in, how they worked out, et cetera, how we adapted uh, during the positions. So you can play the full thing on hedgefundtips.com. Just go down to featured on under categories right here and you can play the full clip, which I think a lot of you will benefit from. But we don't have time for that uh, all in this video cast. Also want to thank Mitch Hawk. I was on with him Monday on Benzinga, which is quite a large platform. And uh, we uh, always have a fun time talking. We were talking about what's going to happen with the inflation report. And I took the under uh, and he was a little surprised. It came out well this month. uh, So we're really excited about that. We're going to talk all about inflation. We're also going to embed a clip from that into this video cast later on about the general economy because he did ask about China. He asked about other places that we're investing. Uh, and uh, as always, Mitch asks tremendous questions. So uh, you'll hear hear that a little bit later. But if you want to hear the full thing, you can also hear it in the uh, same place under Featured On. And then this morning, I did for the first time the Indonesia Investment Forum. By the way, I want to thank Mitch Hawk and Zoltan Saranyi over at uh benzingo for having me on and then the indonesia investment forum this morning was two hours uh i spoke probably for about 45 minutes of that uh with another gentleman who's got a billion dollar private equity fund uh in jakarta and uh you know for those of you who are emerging market investors indonesia and my for my money will be the best place to invest for the next 10 years uh followed by india uh, for sure. And we went through all the reasons why, all the companies, all the sectors. So it'll be the first time you're hearing that and the reasoning behind it. I strongly urge you to listen to that again under Featured On. If you click here, it automatically fast forwards to the part where I tar- start talking. If you want to see all the other speakers as well, uh, just uh, rewind it back to the beginning of the recording. So thanks to Christovita Willoto and Aline where it Maha uh, Aline I, I've known Aline for a while I did CNBC Indonesia a uh, couple segments with her some time back uh, so it was really great to uh, be interviewed by her once again and very excited about that I'll be on uh, not CNBC Indonesia CNBC Asia it's the all of Asia uh, morning show uh, 10 p.m. Uh, 
10 p.m. Eastern time on Monday night when I get back. And then I guess that's 9 a.m. CNBC Asia time. So for those of you tuning in from Asia, uh, that's probably your regular CNBC tune-in. Look forward to seeing you on that show. Uh, thanks to Ginny for inviting me on. Moving right along, want to thank Lydia Moynihan for quoting me in my favorite newspaper, the New York Post. Um, this was about the tax bill, taxing buybacks, um, which would start 1% of buybacks. It'll start in January 1st. I said we could see billions in buybacks accelerated before year end. Uh, uh, we could wind up the year at much higher levels than most would have thought just a few weeks ago. Most, not us. We've been talking about this since June when everyone was puking on their shoes and dumping stocks and hedge funds that sold the most that week at the bottom uh, ever in history. And we said, guys, this is ridiculous. If you're not buying in here, find another business. Uh, and those of you who are regular follow followers will remember that exact quote. And here we are uh, a few weeks later in a completely different situation. Um, okay, want to thank Samuel Shen and Z Wu for including me in the Reuters article about delisting. Uh, quote, our base case is that authorities come to a resolution on U.S. listings and the status quo over the past, from the past two decades remains. Um, moving forward, Bansari Kamdar, thanks for including me on uh, the inflation. I said, as expected, we finally saw a reprieve. This now brings the idea of a Fed pivot or slowdown in hikes back on the table after Friday's strong jobs report took it off. And I covered that with Mitch. So you're going to enjoy the segment. This was on Monday. I said, look, I think inflation is going to come in much better than expected. If you look at the Cleveland Fed numbers, um, you know, right now, the pivot that we talked about last week is off the table because the jobs report was so strong. But if I'm right about Wednesday and inflation comes down, uh, that means the Fed can start to slow uh, hiking, you know, if not uh, pause altogether, uh, certainly do less than 75 basis points and then uh, pause from there uh, in September. So uh, that's all starting to play out. Also want to thank Bansari Kamdar. She asked why banks were up today. I said uh, investors are chasing the laggards that has, haven't participated in the huge runoff the June lows. Um, banks have underperformed and now getting bid. Uh, basically, what I said is managers are in too much cash and and uh, now they have to chase the rally and they don't want to chase what's up 30 and 40 percent off June while they were twiddling their thumbs. They want, you know, like biotech is now up, I think, 45, 50 percent off the May lows uh, and just getting started in our view. It'll take a breather here just to knock out the Johnny come lately. But uh, but but the direction is up over the next year and a half. And um and that's that's the the answer to that question. Also, want to thank Davide Bar Barbusia, Megan Davies, David Gaffin, Laura Senicola, Saqib Ahmed, Sinud Karu, Susan Matthew, Akash Sriram, Aniruda Ghosh, and Megan Davies for including me in their article on Reuters. This was uh, uh, about the tax. The number one thing that stands out is you're going to see an accelerated acceleration of buybacks before the end of this year. Companies would rather not to pay the, pay the tax. They have this window and you can be assured they're going to take advantage of it. Uh, next, uh, this was uh, thanks to Bansari Kamdar and Anaruda Ghosh uh, about biotech. I said, all in all, it's a net positive. Biotech and pharma should rebound after some uncertainty because the bill is less onerous than initially anticipated as it relates to negotiating drug prices. Um, you know, it doesn't start for until 2026. 
it's a you know it's a dozen companies and then another 10 the year after uh, they can't negotiate prices in the first 13 years so this is all off patent uh, issues and what what that means is that um, uh, drug companies are just going to raise prices the first 13 years so unintended consequence of regulation thanks to zero hedge tyler durden that's not his real name i know it is uh for including me in zero hedge uh, earlier last week i just picked it up this week in uh google alert uh but it was like a week and a half ago when everyone was bearish and he quoted some of our stuff uh others such as thomas hayes of great hill capital no one is positioned for any good news cash levels are the highest since 9 11 recession fears are most pronounced since april 2020 and March 2009, the stock market is a discounting mechanism. So while we may be in or will have a recession, the market will bottom far before it is declared. Managers will have to chase up and panic by any further unexpected strength. Well, they've been doing that the last two weeks and and uh, and then some. Uh, thanks to Bansari Kamdar and Anaruta Ghosh again. Um, okay, that, we covered that one. And then the quote of the week is to buy when others are despondently selling and to sell when others are euphorically buying takes the greatest courage, but provides the greatest profit. That's what we're doing. And we have the pleasure of talking about Cooper Standard this week up, you know, some uh, it was up 70 percent uh, off the earnings. And now it's up another 15, 20 percent. I didn't look at it late today, but I know it's over 10 bucks. Uh, so we're cooking there, and that's our third largest position, which is exciting. Uh, biotech is our second largest, which has now started to rebound, uh, which we just covered. And Baba will get into uh, uh, the Masisan overhang, I think, is uh, going to be in the rearview mirror shortly. Uh, but he's just selling on anything that's not nailed down because, you know, he bet on things like WeWorks, and he bought into the hype last year and bought the top, and, and now he's paying the price. Uh, which is not characteristic for Masa. He's done some great deals over the years, but uh, you know he's a human being and he got caught up uh, at the wrong time in the wrong way. Uh, but he'll he'll he's like a cat. He's got nine lives. He'll be back uh, bigger and better. Uh, the problem is is he won't participate as much in the upside of Alibaba over the next year and a half. Uh, but um, world's smallest violin. He's still a billionaire and uh, probably going to be many multiples more than that uh, ten years from now. Uh, okay, inflation runs cooler than forecast, easing pressure on the Fed. So this is all good news. We saw this today. Here are the numbers. Core CPI came in at uh, three tenths of a percent versus five tenths of a percent uh, expected versus uh, seven tenths of a percent gain last month. This is the month on month numbers. The year on year numbers were expected to come up. Uh, 6.1 was 5.9. But the big headline was the CPI month on month. Uh, did not increase at all. It it uh, was zero goose egg. It did not go up. Prices stopped going up year on year 8.5 versus 8.7 expectations. 9.1 last print. So it's starting to come down, uh, etc. So that's that. While we've got this open, uh, let's just take a look at any other major economic stuff we want to cover this week. Uh, China's CPI uh uh, came in lower than expected. It was expected at 2.9. It was 2.7. That's up from 2.5. Uh, but the PPI came in much lower than expected. 4.8. It was at 4.2. That's a leading indicator. So that's positive there. Big build in crude inventories. That's that's positive. Uh, and that's the story on the economic data. 
Investors are betting there's a 60% chance of a smaller Fed rate hike in September after a July inflation cooled. We've been saying that for weeks. Um, so now it's down to 41% of 75. I think it's 50 max. It could be 25. It could be zero if we get another positive uh, GDP print, which we were talking about last week. The jobs report was probably a little too hot for it to be zero. So I'm thinking 2550, but let's see what the data says over the next six weeks. The key is the pivot is from uh, massive fire slaying to uh, a more rational approach moving forward. And uh, that, that implies a pivot when you're moving down from peak 75 to 50 or 25 or zero. And, uh, and that's moving in the right direction. Uh, Tom Lee history shows the bear market is almost over as the length of most declines are typically 21% of the prior bull run Fundstrat says so he's doing this on the basis of time we're right at the median and therefore he says statistically uh, we're there all you have to do is look at the, the market and uh, you kind of figured that out but uh, I, I always love reading his stuff Nasdaq is on track to exit a bear market and the Dow, Dow to leave correction territory after the July CPI reading. So that's all good technical stuff. I put this out uh, five days ago, so that must have been on Friday. <coughs> this was Howard Marks on CNBC in the morning, and he was saying he made his whole career buying assets when they're deemed uninvestable and that China was deemed that and he sees opportunity in China. So you can click on my profile, uh, Twitter profile, at Hedge Fund Tips, and scroll down to find that video. It's 40 seconds, and he just lays it out. That one went viral, <laughs> 370 likes, 60 retweets. Uh, people kind of kind of uh, like that one. Um, I think I've covered this briefly, but it's the greatest value investor you've never heard of, the story of this guy Floyd Odom. Basically, the story is he started with $40,000 in the 20s. He blew it up. Uh, to zero and uh, so he went from being a trader to an investor uh, from a tape reader to a business analyst from a lawyer to a Wall Street legend and he started um, a partnership in 1923 with uh, 39,000 which would be the equivalent of 50, 500,000 today uh, over the next two years after he went from trading to investing uh, he got um, really grew that with new investors and returns to 660,000 and had a mind-numbing compound annual growth rate. Now, why is this important? Uh, he was a deep value investor. He searched after he made the mistake of being a speculator chase, chasing things at the top and chasing the herd like everyone did in 2021 and got smashed. Uh, he searched for 50 cent dollars and scoured every corner of the market. According to documents from the Eisenhower Library, Odlum preferred two kinds of investments, utility stocks and special situations. He defined a special situation, and this is important because this is what Cooper Standard is. This is what Range Resources was. This was what um, many of the things you're going to uh, listen and watch in the money show if you decide to watch the full thing. I've gone through a bunch of special situations we've done over the years. You're going to find valuable, but he defined it as an investment involving involving not only primary financial sponsorship, but also uh, responsibility for the management of the enterprise. The former lawyer wasn't interested in flipping a business for a quick buck either. Strategy was the determination to see a special situation through until success. We will stay with the investment until the essentials of the job have been done and then move on to another special situation. Between 25 and 29, he grew the partnership, investing in utilities and special situations. The AUM grew from 6 million to over 88 million. 
that's over 88 million adjusted for inflation. Uh, around the time he began sensing a euphoria in the market, he smelled the top and decided for it was time uh, to act. He went into cash, sold half of his assets, and uh, with 14 million of cash, he sat on his hands waiting for the next market crash, which shortly followed. Um, after the crash, Odlum looked around quietly with more money ready than most anybody on Wall Street, except a few of the big banks, and noticed that uh, the trend in trust had reversed. Uh, he dabbled in another in industries, including mining, oil and gas, motion picture, aircraft and airlines, department stores, all the stuff that would benefit from the turnaround, manufacturing, Broadway stage productions, hotels and buildings. Um, but his bread and butter during the depression was buying investment trusts. His strategy was simple. He found investment trusts that had fallen so much their stock prices were trading at less than the value of their marketable securities. A uh, good example of this uh, uh blah 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 is many okay he discovered he could buy these trusts liquidate their assets and reap large profits for stakeholders he was buying dollar bills for 60 cents he milked this strategy for all it's worth it's not dissimilar to what we did with wells fargo what we did with exxon what we're doing right now with alibaba and uh, cooper standard uh in in many senses this strategy helped him grow his assets to 150 million 2.2 billion adjusted for inflation um so you know, just uh, he grew his assets 384,000% in over a decade. That's a 32,000 CAGR for asset growth. Um, that's raising and returns. Uh, but um, it goes to show that all these people chasing up these things when they're breaking out or when everyone's excited or when everyone's, uh, when they've already run up for 10 straight years and they're saying, wow, it's a quality business because they look in the rearview mirror at the financials for 10 years versus looking at a business that has been misappraised due to short-term exogenous temporary impairments where you can make many multiples in a short period of time if you're patient and you can deal with the short-term volatility. And that's what we try to do uh, uh, here at Great Hill Capital. And that's what we've done since day one. So uh, boring is beautiful, be a dumpster diver. Uh, let's see. These are boring corners of the market. Yeah. I mean, what could be more, more boring than window ceilings and fuel delivery systems? Uh, you know, and, uh, be a dumpster diver. Oh, the stocks old and bought were the ones others hated. These companies traded around 52 week and all time lows. Sounds familiar? Uh, you wouldn't find anyone talking about these stocks at cocktail parties. Uh, and yet they offered outsized returns simply because no one bothered to look at the potential hidden value. Be a dumpster diver with standards. You'll find many companies trading around all-time lows that aren't as bad as Mr. Market thinks. And we couldn't agree more. And we're seeing that start to play out. Speaking of dumpster diving, Alibaba uh, says primary listing in Hong Kong is improved. Approved. That means by the end of the year, we'll start to get the stock connect flows of $20, $30 billion like Tencent has had for all these years. I think that will be helpful. The question is, who's smart enough to front run the change? Uh, and uh, and we've uh, we've certainly taken advantage of that. So uh, we're we're uh, we're we're very optimistic. The big issue is um, Masayoshi San at SoftBank uh, was chasing a bunch of garbage at WeWork and um, you know all this stuff during the uh, pandemic uh, excitement, and he was you know buying all these things up from DoorDash, etc. And now um, the three, the, the, the triplet killers, ladies, liquor and leverage, he got hit by the third one, which is leverage. And now he's got to sell everything that's not nailed down. He's selling uh, Alibaba. He's selling SoftBank. And he's so reluctant to sell Alibaba because 
Um, what he did was these prepaid forward contracts that gave him the right to continue to own the stock. But the problem is, is his ARM Holdings IPO got delayed in the UK. So now he needs to raise cash. Um, he's still holding on to 14.6% uh, from 23.7% ownership. But um, those contracts came due, which which basically... Basically, what he was doing was selling in-the-money call options, and he had to deliver the stock. He thought he was going to be able to buy back the options and keep the stock, and he got screwed. So um, he needs the money. He has no choice. That's you know, uh, that's that's the problem. It, when you trade in leverage, is you have to sell your gems um, as a source of funds when the leverage goes against you. So that's why we avoid leverage. And we suggest that you too, you do as well. And that's why Buffett, you've never seen Buffett panic selling out of his biggest positions in, you know, seven, eight decades because he never fell into that trap that Masayoshi son did. Masi said he was ashamed. Uh, he should be, but he'll be back and he'll be back bigger, better and stronger. He's a smart guy. He just got caught up in the frenzy when people are throwing free money at you. It's hard to say no. And, um, but I can be pretty sure that the next time that happens, he won't be taking it. So um okay uh brendan ahern does a good job explaining this he's the guy who runs kweb he says that um basically softbank wrote or sold an in the money call to investment banks allowing the company to collect the proceeds and book a 34 billion dollar gain the banks would hedge themselves as they as they effectively sold the shares in the market the key is that softbank said they wouldn't do this again alleviating the risk of more shares being sold i.e. an overhang on the stock. So while everyone thinks the sales are coming, it looks like these are settling out now. And he's he's down to 14.6% uh, from 237 And that could explain the weakness in the past three months, the banks hedging out and selling the stock against the options that, um, uh, that, that were out there. Um, sim this is similar but different to what's happening in Tencent as Prosys keep selling their shares, but they have, they've given no guidance on when it will end. Process owns a bunch of 10 cent. They're selling the 10 cent shares to buy back their own stock. Uh, probably a dumb idea. I think 10 cents a much better business than process, but leaving that aside, um, that's the, that's the overhang and it's an unlimited overhang as it relates to 10 cent. Whereas with um, Alibaba, it's quantified and it may in fact be in the rear view mirror unless more of Masa's stuff blows up. But that's just why. It's like, why isn't the stock going up? Well, there's your answer. So it's given us a couple more opportunities to increase size. Uh, but, um, you know, at some point that ends. And, and when these things turn, they come all at once, just like we saw with Cooper Standard and like we're seeing with biotech. Uh, Biden cautious on China tariffs after Pelosi trip. So, you know, Pelosi did her final hoorah, created a lot of trouble, but that's now going to... Um, limit what they can do on tariffs and curbing inflation ahead of the election. So we'll see if they go ahead and do it anyway. But Pelosi certainly didn't help on that front. Um, the bull market in biostechs is still going strong. I find this comical because, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, you couldn't give away biotech stocks. Now they're calling it a bull market because it's up 40, 50 percent off the lows. It literally hasn't even started. Uh, a few more articles like this will probably be up another 10 or 15 percent. Everyone will, you know, panic chase in. And then we'll get a trap door for 20% before we move uh, higher for the long-term move. Get ready for more merger mania in the pharma sector for the rest of the year. 
Uh, Pfizer agrees to buy Global Blood Therapeutics at a deal valued at $5.4 billion. That was another one. Again, that was part of our three-pronged thesis. One was the valuations were at multi-decade lows. We've gone through a million times. Uh, two was uh, animal spirits will come back. That's happened in the last two months, now close to a, a dozen multi-billion dollar deals, and it's just getting started. Um, and three, drug approvals would start to come in more regularly now that the Fed FDA shifted its focus from COVID to regular uh, drug approvals, and the drug companies could actually get trials done because people were willing to come in and do the trials now that COVID's basically in the rearview mirror. Uh, the article of the week, a ceiling system stock market and sentiment results. We go through on June 7th is when we put out the thesis publicly on Fox Business. June 9th, um, uh, we went into the detailed thesis on the uh, video cast number 138. You can look that up on YouTube. Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes, episode 138. The stock is now up 83. Uh, 41 since reporting last Thursday. I think it's up another, call it 90% today. I think it was at 1050 today or something like that. Uh, so this thing has just taken off. Um, and we go through all of this. You know, the other thing that we said, we put this out on Twitter after uh, the big rally on Friday. I said, we had a great start on Friday. None of the catalysts outlined in our thesis are manifested yet. The two big catalysts being the refinancing and the chips uh, flowing in aggressively, they're starting to flow in as of the last four weeks of Q2 uh, and have continued through July. So that's all good news. Uh, this is a long-term play for us and one that we should continue to expect both upside volatility like we saw on Friday and downside volatility. And I go into this in the segment I'm going to put on in just a minute. Uh, and also with Mitch Hawk, um, we go through all of the, these deals, number one in uh, ceiling systems, two in fuel and brake delivery, three in fluid transfer, um, et cetera. We go through the semiconductors, we go through the industry trends, we go through the credit markets, we go through their capital structure and, uh, and some of the guidance from management on the earnings call. In terms of our balance sheet last month, we announced that we hired Goldman Sachs as our financial advisor to assist us in the process of refinancing a portion of our debt, and that process is ongoing. We are in discussions with certain investors, and we believe the actions we have taken to improve our financial performance and maintain the liquidity, liquidity will allow us to get the refinancing done. Beyond that, we can't provide any further details at the time, which implies they're in deep discussions, which is good, because if that catalyst happens, you've got a $20, $25 stock, and then you just sit tight for three or five years until they get back to normalized EBITDA. Um, their guidance is uh, still 9% CAGR on the top line, which implies $3.4 billion of revenues in 2025 at double-digit EBITDA, 10% EBITDA margin. You're looking at $340 million of EBITDA, probably a lot more, uh, $8 to $9 a share in EPS at a 10 to 20 times multiple. So serious multi bagger. You need only look back to 2016 to 2017 when they were doing $3.4 billion top line. They had about 400 to 450 million of EBITDA, much greater than 10% EBITDA margins, and uh, was earning about uh, 775 to eight bucks a share and traded up to $146. So stocks don't revert to the mean just as they overshoot in despondency on the downside, $3.66 a couple of months ago. They overshoot in euphoria on the upside, $146 in 2018. So uh, going to sentiment here before we move on to the first clip. The fear and greed was neutral this week, 
and the active investment managers were only up to 55% equity. So they still have to chase continued good news. And that's why you see this rip your face, your, rip your face off rally today. Managers don't know what to do. They've been sitting on their hands since June, not believing it after they sold in the hole. And now they are in trouble and they're trying to buy the laggards to try to salvage anything of a year uh, after missing the whole thing uh, that, that um, you know, it's unfortunately they weren't on our podcast video cast distribution list. <laughs> so pass it on to them and uh, we'll be happy to do our best each week. No one gets everything right, but uh, we think we've um, navigated this pretty decently in the last couple of months. So with that aside, we're going to turn now to the detailed explanation and update on Cooper Standard uh, from the Money Show. Uh, it's only a segment of what I did on the Money Show. If you want the whole thing, you can you know where to find that. And then we'll be back shortly. The first kind of benefiting from extreme uh, uh, play we're going to talk about is a current one. Historically, I've talked about ones that we've done over the years. We're going to start with one that we're in right now that's just getting started. Uh, and then we'll go through some of the historic so you can get a sense of how we think about things. But um, Cooper Standard is a, is a micro cap now. Uh, company. It's a leverage play on the automotive semiconductor recovery uh, and the high yield credit markets reopening. If, if, uh, if you note here, you can see that um, uh, basically the credit markets closed over the summer in July. So in January, all these banks were doing LBO deals. Now they're stuck with $80 billion of debt as the credit market seized up. Uh, that's the bad news. The good news is this part is the most important chart in the markets right now. High yield credit spreads have been coming in dramatically in the last three or four weeks, about 100, probably about 120, 125 basis points now. We think this trend will persist into the fall. Uh, the credit markets will reopen. And in the case of Cooper Standard, uh, they've got 320 million due at the end of next year. They will be able to refinance that uh, in our view and in the view of management, which had their earnings call on Friday, uh, on their call on Friday, they reported earnings on Thursday, which we're going to talk about. But the idea emanated from uh, Charlie Munger's purchase of Tenneco during 2021 to 2023. And what he said in an interview was uh, for the Daily Journal, which he owns, he said, I've read Barron's for 50 years, the famous uh, publication. And in 50 years, I found one investment opportunity in Barron's out of which I made about $80 million. He put about $10 million in uh, for almost no risk. I took the $80 million profit and gave it to Lilu, who turned it into 400 or $500 million. So I've made four or $500 million out of reading Barron's for 50 years and following one idea. I didn't have a lot of ideas. I find that uh, I don't find them that easily, but I pounce on them when I do. Uh, and if you look at Tenneco's long-term chart, it's very similar to Cooper Standard. Uh, these things have huge operating leverage, but when the OEMs, the, the big producers like GM and Ford uh, fall on tough times or produ production slips, uh, they get hit with leverage on the downside and they get hit with leverage on the upside. So in the case of Tenneco, the stock had fallen from $47 in 1997 to about a buck 28. I think Munger was buying it at a buck 51. He sold it, sold out of the stock at about $15. It subsequently, uh, subsequently went to $35. Uh, and then in the great financial crisis, it dropped down again below a dollar from 35 to a dollar, then back up to $65. Uh, and most recently in the pandemic, it dropped down to $2. 
and it was recently bought out uh, by Apollo Group for $20, which I thought was uh, grand larceny because they're stealing about $40 of upside from the shareholders, but somehow the board voted yes. Uh, so we think we could see a similar situation with Cooper Standard. It's the same type of operating leverage uh, and, and we're pretty excited about it. So um, at the time, Charlie Munger bought Tenneco uh, had about 40 million shares, a market cap of 80 million, and an enterprise value of 1.6. To put that in perspective, uh, we own uh, a meaningful percentage of the company right now in uh, at a, in about the mid five dollar range, between five and six dollars across accounts. Um, and uh, the enterprise value about a billion. The market cap got down to 50 million. This was a two and a half billion dollar company just a few years ago. We think we're going to see those days again as we look two, three, four years out. Uh, we'll talk about the plan to get there. Uh, and the bonds, by the way, are trading at a similar uh, way as the bonds were for Tenneco when Munger bought it. Uh, he bought the bonds, they were yielding 35%. When we started buying the equity, the bonds were at uh, the, the unsecured bonds uh, were at uh, trading at about 40 cents on the dollar. Now they're up to about 50. I think 51, 54 spread. The senior secured are trading at a premium to par. Uh, so that's that. So we put out this thesis and the reason I mentioned hedgefundtips.com, uh, we not only put out this thesis publicly on Fox Business on June 7th uh, on the claim and countdown, which you can go to YouTube and just search hedge fund tips. All of our media will come up. You can see the June 7th video when we initially launched it, but also in Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes, the video cast number 138 on June 9th. So you can go ahead and look that up also in YouTube. So this was $146 stock, as I said, about a $2.5 billion market cap uh, when, produ when auto production was at its peak in uh, 2017 to 2018 period. Uh, it, it's gone from $146 stock to a $3.53 uh, stock. We started buying the sixes. We bought down uh, lower uh, in the fours, and we've got a mid uh, $5 basis. The market cap from $2.5 billion to $50 million. Uh, now I think it's about $150 million. It was up 69.58% uh, by the way on Friday after reporting earnings because they went cash flow positive. Uh, so the stock shot up to $8.53. It's now up another 15% since then. It's about $9.73. So many of you are sitting there thinking, well, thanks, uh, but I missed it. I didn't know about your podcast. I don't watch you on Fox Business. How, how would have I ever have taken advantage? Well, one, if you were an investor with me, you would have taken advantage. But two, uh, we think there's a tremendous amount of upside. And we do think that over the next three to five years, this thing can revert back to uh, a $2.5 billion market cap. Uh, they were, you know, doing 3.6 billion of top line in 2017 with a double digit EBITDA margin, earning about $8 a share. And if you put a little math on that, the stock is traded between, uh, you know, 10 to 20 times earnings over its history. Uh, so you could really have a multi-bagger over the next three to five years, provided they can get over, over the hump. The, the key thing here, number one, this is opinion, not advice. Um, but the, the key is uh, going to be that operating leverage, getting the refinancing done this fall uh, or sometime before November of 2023. And number two, uh, this is all predicated on the chip starting to flow in. And as we heard from Ford and GM, 
as they reiterated their guidance for the full year, uh, the last four weeks of the uh, second quarter after the China shutdowns were over, uh, those chips started flowing in. And what we're seeing is in July, the same is true. We also got that confirmed from watching the semiconductor companies. But um, want to point to something that I put out on Twitter after the stock jumped 69% on Friday uh, over the weekend. And my Twitter handle is at hedge fund tips. Um, you can look it up. And I said, with, with CPS up 69.5% today, many have reached out asking me for the original thesis I published in June on the video cast. You can find it here. As I said, that was episode 138. Um, one thing to keep in mind on CPS, while we had a great start on Friday, none of the catalysts outlined in our original thesis have manifested yet. So one would be the refinancing gets done, the credit market's open, they're, they're loosening up, right? Credit markets are loosening up, but they're not fully open yet. Um, and two is those chips continue to come and the production continues to come from, from their big customers like Ford, like GM which they both guided in their earnings call that they were affirming full year production guidance despite the huge setback in Q2. Um, but in the near term, this is a long-term play for us and what should continue to expect both upside volatility like we saw on Friday and downside volatility. This thing could very easily be a $5 stock two weeks from now uh, if credit markets tighten, and et cetera. This is just the normal part of the process. The problem with buying a stock down more than 90% is it can go down another 90% before you get the multi-bagger. And, uh, and as I always say on my video cast, they don't give away multi-baggers for free, they're earned, okay? So you're taking a calculated risk. It can certainly be a donut hole, but this is what we specialize in, dealing with these situations when everything's, the baby's getting thrown out with the bathwater, no one can see a light at the end of the tunnel. But the fact of the matter is uh, the demand is, is pent up for the last two years with the OEMs and we're starting to see. Take a look here at uh, uh, domestic auto inventories. Uh, this is not just at low levels. This is at historically low levels, worse than the great, great financial crisis, worse than what Munger bought uh, Tenneco here. But you can see this is a regular cycle. So this is the estimated worldwide motor vehicle production from uh, 2000 to last year. You could see the dip here when Munger bought Tenneco. You can see it during the great financial crisis. You can see it during the great pandemic. And it's just a regular pattern. It dips and then it recovers. It dips and then it recovers. And if you look here at the IHS uh, industry survey, they're expecting it to uh, get back well above 2017 levels over the next few years. And uh, Cooper Standard has guided that uh, uh, while IHS is projecting 5.9% compound annual growth rate of vehicle production, uh, Cooper Standard is projecting total sales growth of 9% compound annual growth rate over that period. And that's what gets us to $3.4 billion with double digit EBITDA margins. The stock could be earning $8, $9 a share, 10, 20 times multiple. Uh, depending on uh, the sentiment at the moment, but uh, you do the math, the stock's trading at $9 now, uh, you could really have a serious multi-bagger in our view. Uh, the downside is they don't get refinanced for some reason, uh, and it's a donut hole. But um, the likelihood seeing them go cash flow positive in a tough quarter in Q2, they affirmed their guidance for the rest of the year that they're gonna do 50 to 60 million of EBITDA, which means they're gonna be averaging you know, $30 million quarters for the next two quarters. And in that context, when you don't need the money, 
uh, everyone wants to give you the money. And I think the same will be true with Cooper Standard. The other thing, uh, and this is just to give you a sense of how we look at things top down, bottom up. You look at the average age of cars on the road is you know, much older than it's ever been historically. Uh, cars are 13.1 years. Uh, uh, light trucks are 11.6 years and the average is 12.2 years. So uh, there, there's a lot of, uh, lot of different opportunity there. Uh, the other thing, a couple key facts about them, they are no, number one globally in sealing systems. They have a special material called Fortrax, uh, which you can go to their website and learn about that. Uh, so that, that's kind of a moat in the business. You know, most people look at auto parts as a commodity, but they do have special technologies. Uh, the fuel and brake delivery systems, they are number two globally. And number three, the fluid transfer systems, they're number three globally. And what initially when I looked at this, because I like to look at distress, and what I think separates it a little bit from Teneco is I said, well, what happens if we really do accelerate in EVs? EVs don't have that many parts, are they going to go out of business? And uh, the answer is it's just the opposite. Uh, so they make about $155 a car right now on internal combustion engines. Uh, they do about eight parts, uh, you can see here, as it uh, relates to powertrain thermal management. When that goes to hybrid, it's 28 part numbers. And when it goes to battery electric vehicles, it's actually 20 part numbers. On average, they make 20% more for EVs than they do for ICEs or internal combustion. So the future is very bright. If nothing happens with EVs, our thesis is intact. If EVs really accelerate uh, as people think that they will, uh, then we make more money than our base case, which is always a good thing. Um, just to confirm, not just what GM and what uh, Ford and what uh, some of the auto other OEMs were talking about, uh, the semiconductors all had one thing in common. Consumer demand for electronics and PCs has gone down. For video gaming, we saw from NVIDIA recently has gone down. For handsets has gone down. But guess what's gone up through the roof is auto semiconductor uh, demand is two-year backlog and industrial and internet of things demand has gone up. And as a result, while all these companies guided down on their electronics business, they guided up on their auto chip business. So Taiwan Semiconductor was up 14% year on year in spite of the China shutdown. NXPI auto chip business up 36% year on year. These companies just reported Texas Instrument auto chips rose by 20% year on year. Qualcomm chips grew by 38%. And why that's important to Cooper Standard is it means the chips are finally getting produced because some of that excess capacity from the slack demand on consumer electronics is now being allocated to auto chips. Uh, some of the uh, double orders are being canceled and the chips are actually getting to the OEMs. And that's all Cooper Standard needs to, to uh, benefit from their operating leverage is uh, to see the 100,000 cars that GM referenced that were in parking lots that they couldn't ship and book in re as revenue in Q2 because there were no chips. Now those chips are coming in. So that's gonna be 100,000 cars and a lot more cars uh, moving forward and being the number one in sealing systems, two in fluid and brake delivery and three in fluid transfer. All they need is those chips to flow, uh, cars will be delivered and these dealer inventories will start to pick up to more normalized levels. Maybe never back to uh, you know, uh, 1994 levels, but they're, they're selling and they're selling at higher margin and that's gonna continue. And for those people saying, well, people won't buy cars because rates are going up, uh, just turn on the TV. I saw Cadillac today 
had 2.1% uh, APR financing for the next 24 months on their three new Cadillac SUVs. So uh, there's, there's a lot to do there. Um, moving right along, um, they have the, their top 10 vehicle platforms, the Ford F-150, uh, that's uh, kind of popular in the United States, the Ram 1500, Chevy Silverado, Buick Envision, et cetera. So their top 10 platforms account for 40% of planned 2022 revenue. Uh, so, so we've got that. And then um, moving right along, we also see that, um, Jeff Edwards in the conference call uh, just last week, he said, we began to see some improvement in global market conditions and production levels in the final four weeks of the quarter. With China production coming back online, European markets and operations beginning to stabilize from the Ukraine war-related disruptions and in increasing inflation recoveries from our customers. Uh, they've renegotiated a lot of the contracts to get compensated for that. We saw adjusted EBITDA margins and cash flow turn positive in June with further improvements in global production volume expected for the remainder of the year, combined with continuing cost reduction initiatives and anticipated incremental positive in impact uh, from our enhanced commercial agreements, we continue to expect to deliver full year adjusted EBITDA in line with our original guidance, which was 50 to $60 million. Uh, they're at negative seven and a half now, give or take. So that means you know, you'll be seeing on average uh, 30 million EBITDA per quarter. And in that case, they, you know, they, in theory, uh, with their cash, they've got $405 million, $250 million of cash, uh, $150 million undrawn uh, ABL lending facility. So $400 million of liquidity. They get to cash flow positive, generating $30, $40 million a quarter in EBITDA. They technically don't even need to refinance, but when you don't need it, everyone, everyone's begging to do it. Uh, and with that 9%, uh, compound annual growth rate, uh, sales growth over the next few years, that implies 3.4 billion of revenue for 2025. Their guidance this year, the mid-range is 2.6 billion uh, at 10 10% EBITDA margin uh, or double digit as they say, and double digit return on invested capital. You're looking at 350, $400 million of EBITDA, eight to $9 a share of earnings, 10 to 20 times multiple. And that's how we get to the multi-bagger. So. Uh, the, these are the kind of things we look at. If you look at 2016, 2017 numbers, their revenues were right in that range, 3.4, 3.6, uh, and they were earning, uh, you know, $7.75, $8 a share, and you had $146 stock. Why? Because things never revert to the mean. Just as the stock should have never hit $3.50 in complete uh, sentiment despondency, uh, there's no basis for it ever trading at that level. Uh, there's no basis for it ever trading at $146, but just as we were seeing currently overshoots on the downside of late, we will see overshoots on the upside as we look three to five years out, uh, and that can be a tremendous, uh, tremendous opportunity. So, so that's our current one, and that's what we find is always most interesting to people. Okay, well, now that you've heard that, we're going to flip over to our discussion on the general market outlook with Mitch. This was uh, on Monday, two days before the inflation prints. Check it out here. All right, let's go ahead. Let's bring on Thomas Hayes. How we doing? Welcome back. It's good doing to great, back. Mitch. Glad to be here, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited. I just saw something hit the tape, so might as well just ask you about what do you think about it, Thomas? So I just saw right now Boeing's Dreamliner's deliveries to resume in the coming days. It's, of course, coming from the FAA. 
How do you feel this will affect Boeing? I know we've had some recent delivery mentions, but seems like this is a, a really good outlook for Boeing here. Yeah, I love this type of headline, Mitch, because Boeing has been a chronic disappointer for the last yeah. year and a half. I mean, it's just been tape bomb after tape bomb, mismanagement after mismanagement. And what I like about the stock here, Mitch, is the fact that no one's paying attention to it anymore. Everyone's been burned on Boeing. They've given up on the stock. And now that good news is actually coming out and the stock is silently moving up. You hear no one really talking about it other than guys like you who are paying attention to everything. Uh, and, uh, and I think it's a sleeper that could do very well over the next 12 to 18 months. So uh, good to see this good news, but no one's paying attention. And that, and that creates opportunity for, for smart value players. Definitely. It's been hanging on too. I would think that it was going to pull back, but it, it just hung on to this trend, this recent trend. So it's going to be a fun stock to keep on watching, especially if you hear more and more mentions of deliveries of that 787 Dreamliners that has been halted for two years. I yeah. mean, it's been a while since we've heard that kind of get the resume. And I think everyone was watching the FAA if we were going to if that news was actually going to hit the tape. So there we have it. Let's get out of that. Let's talk a little bit about, I'm going to play a fun game with you. I'm going to, let's do over under on the CPI estimate, 8.7, of course, the estimate. And the next question following that would be, how would it, the markets you think react towards that if it's over or under? I think it's going to be under. And if you look at the okay. Cleveland Fed, they have some uh, real-time inflation metrics it's actually pointing to 27 basis points up year on year for July, which would be about 3.4% annualized. If that's the case, that's going to take the market by storm. And it may, in fact, negate um, what we saw from Friday. That jobs report came out super, super hot and kind of put the, uh, the Fed pivot narrative on the back burner in the short term with that many jobs created uh, and the unemployment rate at 3.5. Everyone had been kind of positioning for a pivot. In September, that took that uh, took that off the table. But if you do see the under, like like I'm talking about here, uh, it may bring that back on the table. Uh, so so we're pretty optimistic looking at the Cleveland Fed data. We know that commodities work on a lagged basis. They rolled over in June. We're starting to see a little bit of in the in the cash register. Even Elon Musk said we're past uh, peak inflation. He's seeing it in uh, component parts for his cars. Uh, so that would be a, a very pleasant surprise and potentially offset the good news, bad news of Friday. Yeah. Now, if we do see it come in under. All right. So the scenario is hit. Let's say, I don't know. Well, let's say 8 percent. How will the Fed be handcuffed here or will they not be handcuffed here if they start seeing inflation turn around? Of course, we saw the increase in the jobs number. That's why I think they are a little bit handcuffed here because there's a strong labor market. But of course, their main focus was inflation and they're starting to see it trickle down. What will they be left to do? Well, if it comes in under, that gives them the ability to raise less than anticipated uh, which is what the market would like to see with inflation coming down. So, you know, the, the fact what, what you see a lot from the Fed at, at this moment is jawboning more than action. And the reason that they're doing jawboning and no one's really talking about it is the fact that our debt to GDP ratio is 125. They're limited in how high they can go without making the debt, debt servicing unsustainable. So they've been doing a great job of talking inflation down, talking demand down slowing the economy down. But if you think about it, 
Fed funds rate at 225, 250. That's where we peaked in at the last tightening cycle in 2019. So, uh, you know, son, you know, without what we saw on Friday, it wouldn't have surprised me if we saw a pivot in Jackson Hole. Uh, with that strong jobs report, it's probably going to be delayed uh, until September. Maybe we get one more hike. Uh, but the key, as you said, will be the CPI and the PPI numbers this week. And we're definitely taking the under. Uh, you know, they've been stubbornly high, but I think on a lag basis, we're now going to see it. The other thing that's critically important as it relates to inflation, everyone always looks at energy and commodities, but it's used car prices and new car prices. They've been unnaturally high because of uh, because the demand out, uh, exceeded supply. And that was largely a function of a shortage of auto chips. Well, you spoke to the NVIDIA uh, uh, pre-announcement that uh, their earnings were going to be weak on the basis of the consumer side, video gaming, crypto mining, et cetera. We've seen that across the board, whether you're talking about Taiwan Semiconductor, NXPI, Texas Instruments, Qualcomm, they say the consumer and the consumer electronics side is all slipping. PC demand is slipping. But guess what? That's created. They've been able to reallocate capacity to auto chips, and that demand is backlogged for two years. New car demand is backlogged for two years. And as those chips continue to roll in, which all the auto suppliers spoke to on their calls, uh, uh, they started to roll in the last four weeks of June after the China shutdown was, was done. Uh, you know, Ford maintained their full year production guidance and earnings guidance. GM maintained their full year production guidance, despite having such a horrible Q2. So as those chips roll in and you see the massive new car production and those 100,000 cars that GM couldn't get off the lot because they didn't have chips now getting onto the lot, that's going to bring down used car prices dramatically as a glut of new car, uh, new cars come online. Uh, and that's going to bring down inflation dramatically. So I'm less worried about inflation than most, albeit we just passed a big uh, spending bill uh, in the Senate. I know it's called tax and spending, but we know what it actually is. Uh, so, uh, so the market's kind of trying to digest that if that gets passed in the House, which it likely will. Uh, but all in all, uh, inflation, I think, uh, certainly has peaked, and it would be nice to see it show up in the numbers this month. Uh, optimistically, and certainly by next month on a lag basis, but uh, but I'm I'm definitely going to take the under. All right, now what opportunities are you seeing arising from the passing of the Climate Inflation Reduction Act? Is there any opportunities that are arising? I know that uh, J.P. Morgan coming out with that call on First Solar about potential 20% upside. Do you see any opportunities coming out of this bill? Well, I think the buybacks are going to be accelerated. I think companies are going to now, they've got uh, record cash on the balance sheets. They're going to now look to the tax kicking in in 2023 and all the buybacks they have slated in their authorizations for 2022 and 2023. I think we're going to see a lot of that accelerated into the end of 2022 so they can do it without the tax. And that's going to create a natural bid for the market. I think the other thing you saw today uh, on the news was uh, biotech was up big this morning. It's cooled with the market since, but, uh, but it's still positive on the day. And people were scared about this drug pricing provision. And the good news is it's uh, less punitive than anticipated in that uh, it doesn't go into effect till 2026. It only goes into effect on a small number of drug drugs starting four years from now and uh, on no drugs in the first 13 years. So it's only off-patent drugs that this could potentially affect 
four years out. And I think uh, the drug stocks and the biotech stocks got bid and they've continued to follow through. I know we've been on your show uh, many times since May, which was the lows saying biotech, biotech, biotech. Well, now you've got the XBI some 40% off the lows since June. And we think if you look out over the next year and a half, plus uh, it's just the beginning. Uh, you've seen animal spirits with a lot of deals, even one deal announced this morning, Pfizer, uh, uh, buying glo uh, global blood therapeutics uh, this morning, a multi another multi-billion dollar deal. That's, you know, we're approaching a couple of dozen and just in the last two months, animal spirits are back. A lot of drug approvals now coming through the pipe as, uh, as, as uh, the FDA takes its focus off of COVID and puts it back on drug approvals. The trials are back in effect uh, now with uh, people willing to participate in the trials. So, uh, so those are some things we look at, but to, back to the point about auto suppliers, which I know we've talked about on your show as well, uh, this was wholly dependent on the chips coming in because the demand for new cars has been pent up now for a year and a half. They just haven't been able to supply it. I think there's going to be a huge opportunity in our third largest holding, which uh, we may have mentioned with you in the past uh, month or so, was, uh, was Cooper Standard. They reported on Friday, they were up 69.83% on Friday. Uh, that's a long-term play. The reason it was so beaten down was they've got some debt they have to refinance before the end of the year, which we think that'll get done. Management said as much on Friday's call. Uh, and that stock has followed through today, which was nice to see after such a big move on Friday. But if you look out three to five years as they get back to normalized EBITDA, uh, this could be a many multi-bagger in, in our view. Something definitely I want to keep an eye out is how that reports on the CPI. And so I'll, I'll keep watching exactly what you're mentioning there. Do we start seeing that shift? And uh, will we start seeing some kind of new sales uh, really start getting off the, the line? Because a lot of that issue has just been, like you said, uh, not having the chips. And now if we are going to get that kind of push in the chips because of course, the turning away from the gaming, that could definitely drive some of these stocks. Now, uh, one area that I have to ask you in is, of course, is oil. Are you bullish or bearish oil stocks from here? Um, it's been a tough call. I would like to see how you look at it. Yeah, well, we, look, we were pound the table bulls on oil stocks in 2020. Uh, we sold them off uh, earlier this year in the Russia war. Uh, strength and uh, maybe a couple of months too early, but that was a huge trade for us over a year and a half. Uh, made a lot of money there, and uh, and now looking forward, we've been less interested. We said the trap door was going to open sometime in the middle of the year. All these people chasing oil who hated it in 2020, loved it in 2022 when it was at the top. Uh, the trap door was coming, and sure enough, it is. And the trap door has uh, knocked a lot of wind out of these stocks. So I, I, I'm not an aggressive buyer. The other thing that no one's really paying attention to is the rig count. Uh, that rig count now is, uh, you know, 670 or so, 674. Uh, I'm sorry, 764. That's down from 790 pre-pandemic, but it's up from 244 at the pandemic trough. So that is a big factor that uh, while everyone's looking to beg Saudi Arabia to pump more oil, uh, we've got a lot coming online in the United States. And I don't think people are fully accounting for that moving forward. So I'd say I'm agnostic here. You know, I, I don't chase things that are up. I buy things when they're out of favor. Uh, and then I wait for everyone to get interested in them and I lay it off. So we, we just do that over and over. Uh, talk to me about some things that no one loves and, and I'm interested. 
There you go. There you guys have it. Something to keep on watch, the U.S. break count. I appreciate you, like always, Thomas, bringing a little bit of extra. Now, the last thing I'll leave you off to is, is there any kind of plays that you're watching to kind of continue moving? Is there any opportunities you like right now? Yeah, I, th- I certainly think you want to keep your eyes on the uh, auto suppliers now that the chips are coming in. They make their money when OEMs, for GM, et cetera, ship cars. Uh, and, uh, and now that they're going to start shipping like crazy with the chips coming in, the auto suppliers have huge operating leverage. They've been kind of in the bullpen. Now they're on the mound and they're going to start throwing strikes left and right. Uh, pay attention there. Biotech is going to continue to follow through. And I know, you know, China tech, I'm like a broken record. Uh, it hasn't worked yet, but that, that's going to be a trade. The number one thing you need to see if you're skeptical about China tech, just watch the U.S. dollar. If you, if you do nothing else. If that U.S. dollar continues to weaken into, into year end, you want to be in emerging markets and China is the heaviest weight in emerging markets. So if you don't like China, just wait tight until you see that dollar start to crack and that'll be your signal to maybe get some exposure. All right, we'll see what happens. I know a lot of people are thinking about China, but probably in another sense, they're thinking about worrying here and you're completely giving us another side to keep an eye out. Appreciate that. Like always, Thomas uh, Hayes here, chairman and managing member of Capitol Hill. We'll definitely have you back on. Thanks so much, Mitch. Okay, and to wrap it up, we're gonna take a look at earnings. While everyone was calling for a 20% revision in earnings, uh, we've had uh, just about a 2% re- revision in earnings uh, down to about 245 for 2023 versus uh, 250 just a few weeks ago. And yeah, 244.93 and uh, 227 for this year down from 230. So uh, the, um, the rumors of the death of equities uh, were greatly exaggerated. And now we'll just go through a couple Ask Me Anything questions and wrap it up until next week. Uh, Kashganja asks, Tom, did your view on Intel change after the earnings and outlook they gave? Greetings, Bart. Um, No, absolutely not. We could care less what happens in the next three quarters. We're playing the three to five year turnaround. Uh, We think this is an $80, $90 stock over the next few years. Not our best idea. It's a tiny position for us, but uh, we we like it and we want to participate. Okay, Jason Patel, Tom, huge fan of your content, thinking about various investments, especially in China. I, too, am very bullish on China and coming out of a cycle bottom here in the near term. Tailwind to QA, two two questions, if you're willing to share any sentiment and thoughts. I'm a novice. Okay, so is additional QE from China contingent upon Federal Reserve and European Central Bank getting through their QT or at least the majority of it? No. Uh, when I bring up China investment thesis, uh, some of which are in the hedge fund. Um, India pops up in the discussion. What do you think? Uh, well, I said that you should you should listen to the Indonesia Investment Conference. I think Indonesia and India are going to be the two best investment opportunities in emerging markets for the next 10 years, the fastest growth uh, in terms of like broad buying countries, buying companies. We love Alibaba. We think that's going to be a monster. But uh, but they're also growing very aggressively in Southeast Asia, and we and that's how we're participating in it. So uh, definitely, Jason, go ahead and listen to that um, Indonesia Investment Conference. We talk about India, we talk about Indonesia, um, and the growth and the demographics, etc. It's very detailed. It's very good. Mark Messer, one of the lessons I learned from you is patience paid off. Uh, totally changed my way of investing. 
Mark, I'm very glad to hear that uh, it hasn't even started yet. So, you know, this could be a $5 stock tomorrow before it's an $80 stock. Um, so don't worry about the short-term volatility. But yes, patience does pay off. That's how you get rich. Um, and um, uh, keep hanging in there. Good job. All right, last one from Drew. Let's see. Um, oh, okay. So here's one from Roy Baines uh, asking about Progressive Holdings, PRG. I like it. I uh, just did a quick look. I think it's fine. And then uh, Drew, thanks for your compelling weekly market insights. It's my financial highlight of the week by a country mile. Looking forward to becoming a member very soon. After focusing on the U.S. this year, and given the recent excellent AMA questions on ASOS, I've been looking at the following beaten down UK stocks, wondering your thoughts. Rolls-Royce, we like it, we own it. A ASOS, uh, you know, I gave my thoughts on that. And then um, following beaten down stocks have also been rumored for takeovers. Uh, rumors for takeovers are BS. It's usually just someone that's bagged in the stock that was on leverage that needs to get out. They pass off the rumors. They hope it pops up so they can dump out of their stock and get enough liquidity to get cash. Um, sometimes they actually happen, but usually it's, it's, it's never buy a stock on that basis. Buy the stock because you want to own it five years from now, regardless of the underlying price. So, uh, THG. All right. Um, made.com business model under pressure. I don't like these new businesses. There's not enough long-term data. Let's see the Hanover group. Um, it's it looks like progressive actually so it, it's fine you know fever tree i mean this feels like a fad this is like it's a it's a really popular drink mix it'll probably get bought out actually that one probably will get taken out um although their margins are probably compressing i'm not familiar with fever tree let's see fever fever tree drinks all right let's take a look here real quickly Uh, that's interesting. Let's see what's happening with the financials. Okay, they're growing top line. Their uh, gross margins are declining, but that's kind of well the gross margins are declining i mean they're from 55 percent down to 42 percent, so it is deteriorating that's probably obviously already priced in um net income has been flat uh that's probably priced in so i think this is kind of a bet let's see uh return on assets return on capital it's halved, you know, it was generating 40% return on capital. It's now at 20% return on equity. It's also halved. So, you know, it's a deteriorating business. Um, let me just see here if their revenues are growing. I mean, their revenues are still growing. I mean, this is one of those, if you want to take a punt, maybe you get a double, maybe you get a takeout. Um you'd really have to drill down and understand is the business deteriorating because it's a fad that's over and there are new replacements for these drink mixers or is it just because of leftover covid that the volume hasn't ramped up yet uh but you know you didn't see that with diageo you didn't see it with uh 
um, constellation. I mean, those those things crushed it during during uh, during COVID. So why is this thing lagging? And you'd have to drill down and do a lot of work. Um, you know, the thing about these podcasts is I'm, I'm generally not going to do the work for you. I'm going to point you in the direction of how to think. And if you've watched this long enough, which I know Drew has, and he's been a, a great and awesome supporter over the months and years, um, you should be able to drill down and start to do some of this work yourself read and listen to all the conference calls for the last three or four years, pull the financial documents, read the annual reports, and treat it like a business. If you were going to buy a private business, what level of due diligence would you want to do before you put your hard-earned capital into owning a piece of that business and moving forward? So uh, I think you're on to something here. I think you've got a knack. I think you just got to drill down on a couple of these. Uh, I'll take a quick look at made.com. Uh, my guess is that it's going to be a newer business, and I'm just going to uh, pass on it out of hand because uh, there's not enough financial data, but let's let's see what the facts are. Yeah, I mean, this is a three-year-old business. They're growing revenues. Uh, let's see, gross margins are declining a little bit, but pretty high. Um, losing money, negative EBITDA. Um, yeah, this is not my, this is not my cup of tea. I mean, I don't, I don't like these type of business. This, this is just a, you know, uh, finger in the wind, hope for the best. Is it going to grow? I don't see what's, what's around corners. I bet on sure things, uh, largely. And, um, you know, sometimes there's some exceptions, but this, this would not be one of them for me. Uh, but I think Fever Tree is worth looking at a little deeper. It's not going in the right direction, but there may be an opportunity. Do not buy it on a takeout basis. Buy it on a turnaround basis. And if you listen to the calls and look at the presentations, you can discern whether uh, management's turnaround plan is legit or just a uh, finger in the wind, Hail Mary. Uh, and other than that, um, I think we're done. So we'll see you next week. Same time, same place. Thanks for tuning in. In the meantime, make it a great one. Bye for now.